Max's Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permac. On today's show, America's largest investor takes on climate change and why Visa just paid over $5 billion for a startup. But first, impeachment playbook. So we are taping this on Tuesday morning, and the House is now expected to vote tomorrow on a resolution to send the articles of impeachment to the U.S. Senate, which then would hold a trial. Now, it has been a kind of convoluted path across the halls of Congress, and plenty of questions still remain, including whether or not the Senate will call witnesses, and if so, what witnesses. One thing we do think we now know is that there will not be a Senate Republican effort to simply dismiss the articles upon receipt, even though President Trump tweeted out support for such a move. In short, there wouldn't be enough support particularly among a group of more centrist Republicans like Susan Collins and Mitt Romney, both of whom are open, it seems, to witnesses. So we will get some sort of trial. The outcome may feel predetermined, but there are some new developments, including news that one of Rudy Giuliani's indicted associates has handed over, quote, a trove of text messages and documents to House investigators, some of which could make its way into the public record that gets submitted to senators. In 15 seconds, we will dig into what's happening and what happens next with Axios political reporter Elena Treen. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios political reporter Elena Treen. Let's assume that Pelosi and the House Democrats get the articles of impeachment over to the Senate. Can you walk me through a little bit about what we know right now about what then happens in the Senate? It's not like law and order, right, where they just, you know, get Judge Roberts up there and he hits a gavel and a trial starts. No, it's nothing like law and order, and it won't be. I think a key thing to that is it's not a criminal trial. It's a political one, and so the rules are a bit different. So once the articles do get over to the Senate, there's expected to be a vote on that in the House tomorrow. Essentially, almost immediately, the Senate trial will begin, and the Senate will have to vote on a resolution, really organizing, laying out the rules for what the trial will look like. As of now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says that he has enough votes from Republicans to move forward with the precedent that was set in former President Bill Clinton's trial in 1999, which essentially is you walk through opening arguments from House managers, the president's uh, defense team, and then there's this Q&A period from senators. um, And essentially, you know, if you look at all of that between the first few days that will be procedural, about three to four days to swear in the Chief Justice John Roberts, swear in senators, additional housekeeping items, and then launching into that more formal opening arguments and Q&A period, that'll probably be about two weeks. And then, of course, right now, the big fight that's going on on the Hill regarding the Senate trial is whether they will call witnesses or have a chance to call witnesses. And that's really what is driving a bunch of of Senate Republicans in a tizzy right now. Let me ask first about the folks who will be presenting kind of both sides of this case. And and first on call it the uh, the prosecution side or in terms of the House Democrats, they're going to determine today, I guess, who the so-called managers are, the people who will actually present this case in the Senate. All the reporting seems to be that even the leading candidates don't necessarily, or at least as of yesterday, didn't necessarily know if it would be them or not. Is that possible? As you say, this thing would start immediately. Is it really possible that the person who's going to be standing up there at the lectern making the case doesn't know they're the person yet? How could they possibly be prepared in time? Uh, I think... One thing that to keep in mind with the way senators and congressmen are very good at playing coy here. So there's been discussions for weeks 
about who potential House managers will be. A huge focus on someone like Congressman Adam Schiff, who runs the Intelligence Committee in the House, that he will play a big role. Other people who have been very active in the House investigation of the president and his actions toward Ukraine are also expected to play a role. But there has not been a final decision on House managers and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi actually held a meeting with members of her caucus this morning. And she said in that meeting to lawmakers that, listen, I still haven't made a final decision on who they will be, but you will know that shortly because tomorrow they're expected to vote on who these managers will be. So you're totally right. They're not going to just be thrust into the Senate trial without knowing. They've known for a few weeks now behind the scenes who to expect and what to expect. But until uh, the final decision is made, still a bit unclear. On the other side of this kind of leading defense for President Trump is going to be Pat Cipollini, who's, who's currently White House counsel. Is there a sense from people you talk to inside the White House how he will play on TV? Because ultimately his, you know, as you say, this is political, not criminal. So really, this is about how it plays to, you know, everybody watching at home on TV. How will Pat Cipollini come across and what does the White House think about that? This is a huge thing. And this is something that President Trump cares about immensely, the way that his defense or his administration officials will portray him on television. A lot of people think that, you know, he isn't a TV lawyer by any means. He's definitely an incredible legal expert, but hasn't had a lot of time on television, especially since working in this administration. And so that is something that internally a lot of White House officials have been focused on and how to to best present that. And again, the president is very cognizant of how he's represented on television. So that will be a big focus as he goes to the floor to defend him. Let me talk to you about what you wrote about this morning, this issue with Lev Parnas, the Rudy Giuliani associate, the indicted Rudy Giuliani associate, whose lawyer turned over what he referred to as a trove of texts and other documents over to House investigators. What, if anything, could be in there? In other words, kind of, is this a serious play and something that could actually impact the Senate trial? It could. So he was a former uh, associate of Rudy Giuliani's who has been described now throughout the impeachment hearings that were held in the House as someone who was doing shadow diplomacy in Ukraine and had a huge role in what was essentially the president and the White House trying to pressure Ukraine to open a political investigation into his political rival, Joe Biden. And so it is key here because Lev Parnas, his former associate, will have a ton of exchanges with Rudy Giuliani. His lawyer, I spoke with him on the phone last night, said that uh, it'll include a ton of information that is very relevant to this impeachment inquiry. And so it is kind of like a last-ditch effort, or it could be if, if the House does go ahead and publicize the contents of what Lev Parnas shared with them. could be a last-minute effort to really pressure some of these Senate Republicans into pushing Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and others to vote for witnesses when the time comes and really change the shape of that trial. Is there any talk that Parnas himself could become a witness? There, I mean, that's what he wants. He, he, Lev Parnas and his lawyer both want him to have the opportunity to testify. But really, right now, the fight is still about whether or not there will even be witnesses in general, not even focusing on who. Of course, we know that John Bolton and people like Lev Parnas have said that they want to testify. So there's a chance that they could. But as long as there is that vote, and that's still unclear, if there'll be enough senators to actually vote in favor of having any witnesses at all. Well, look, as somebody who, who gets to just watch this, the, the idea of somebody who created a company called Fraud Guarantee testifying in front of the Senate is delightful. So I hope he becomes a witness. <laughs> uh, Elena Treen, Axios political reporter, Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My final two, right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. 
Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager with nearly $7 trillion in assets under management. That's trillion with a T. Anyway, BlackRock is run by a guy named Larry Fink, a far-left progressive by Wall Street standards and a moderate liberal by everyone else's standards. Fink has been talking for a while about how firms like his must exhibit more social responsibility, and today announced that BlackRock will make climate change a central pillar of its corporate strategy and mission. In an open letter, Fink wrote that climate is, quote, a defining factor in companies' long-term prospects and that we are, quote, on the edge of a fundamental reshaping of finance. Now, in that vein, BlackRock will make some tangible changes, including offering what it calls sustainable versions of its flagship portfolios and will take a tougher position on climate-related shareholder proposals. It also plans to drop coal producers from its active-managed funds, although most BlackRock offerings are passive, not active. The bottom line, BlackRock and Fink have talked a big talk for years, but haven't always followed that up with tectonic actions, in part, again, because most of its business is passive investing. So this time, let's wait and see. Finally, Visa announced last night that it'll pay $5.3 billion to acquire Plaid, a San Francisco-based startup that most of us use, but few of us know. Plaid basically provides a lot of the, let's call it the plumbing, that lets our digital transactions flow freely, connecting our bank account data to financial apps on our phones. In fact, Plaid says that one in four Americans with a bank account have connected to the company via a financial app, and this now gives Visa a way to significantly expand its foothold into the financial tech market. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national hot pastrami sandwich day. And we'll be back on Thursday with another Pro Rata podcast.